Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Everything 80s Halloween special. It's time for the Everything 80s Halloween special. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. And I've really come to love Halloween. Not that I didn't love it when I was a kid, but my priority was, you know, consuming my body weight in candy uh, each Halloween Eve and into the next day as well. But I've come to love it more because like Christmas, it's sort of this annual tradition thing where it's, you know, certain you know, movies and TV shows and things that you only, you know, you wait all year to watch. So I I really liked it in that aspect. So what we're going to do today is look at a few different Halloween 80s related topics. And these are specifically things that happened in the 1970s, but came more into prominence in the 1980s. So we're going to look at the myth, almost the urban legend, if you will, of the razor blades in the candy and the poison candy and the stuff we grew up terrified of in the 80s and my mom checking all our Halloween candy and this is a look into this thing that really rose to prominence in the decade and why this happened and where this whole you know myth came from then we're going to look at a few classic 1980s Halloween commercials and then if you spent any time around this podcast you know all about the infamous Star Wars holiday special. But there is another, and it is the Paul Lind Halloween special. And if you don't know about this thing, I'll cover everything. It's a glorious train wreck in the grand tradition of the Star Wars holiday special. But it, again, came out in the late 70s, but if it wasn't for Kiss, it wouldn't have become a big thing in the 80s. And I'll explain why that is when we get to it. Okay, here we go. I've got uh, It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, on the TV behind me, a cup of cider. Here we go. So I've really found this, the whole, I guess myth is the best way to put it, about the, you know, the poison Halloween candy and the razor blades and the apples and how this came to be such a thing. Like I said, I don't know exactly how old you are, I assume, you grew up trick-or-treating in the 80s and into the 90s, maybe the 70s, but it was, I didn't even dare look at my candy until my mom had completely gone through it with a fine-tooth comb because there was this genuine fear that, you know, we might have the poison candy or this was like happening all over the place when in truth, it really never even happened. And if it did, it wasn't specifically related to Halloween. And again, it's this period in the 80s. I don't know if it was a combination of, you know, Cold War fears, 
uh, more information um, and parents becoming warier. Uh, there was uh, there's a famous story of you might have heard of the cyanide lace Tylenol that happened in 1982 and that was you know limited though to I think around the Chicago area it's just with more news reports and and more um, stations starting to pop up you know things needed to fill the time and you know what's the best way to draw viewers in but was some form of fear and if you remember again how big the issue of devil worshiping was in the 1980s and that was a huge concern for parents so i think it was just one of those things that fit in nicely and was a way for media outlets to get a lot of attention because of course you know everyone wants to check this out but like how does this whole thing start and there's been you know some actual issues of kids you know succumbing to whatever candy trying to make this as ungrizzly as possible but it turns out, like, there's one case in 1970 where a five-year-old um, didn't make it from eating some, apparently it was, like, uh, some drug-laden Halloween candy. It was laced with it or whatever. And then in 1975, there was a story of an eight-year-old from Texas who, again, there was some sort of cyanide poisoning after eating eating, eating tainted Halloween candy. And these sort of things just instantly became news items. And then there were various cases of sharp objects in Halloween candies, particularly apples. And I don't know what kid is eating an apple they got trick-or-treating. I mean, those are getting thrown back at the house where I came from. And there, apparently some of these stories go back to the 1960s, that they, there were people bobbing for apples and apparently ate an apple that had, you know, some sort of razor blade or needle and there's a story of a 55 year old man who had the needle inside him and they presume it was from eating a caramel covered apple around halloween when he was a kid so you know now everyone's sort of panicking about these things and we're wondering you know is this happening all across the country is it happening in every city and these are just a few isolated incidents that didn't even have anything to do with Halloween or the trick-or-treating. The case of that one five-year-old, apparently he had accidentally got into some of his uncle's drugs or whatnot, and then somehow it got linked to Halloween. I think it was sometimes people trying to, you know, cover up or what not. And then the story of the eight-year-old in Texas, he wasn't poisoned by getting Halloween candy when he was trick-or-treating, but apparently it was like a family related thing and again an accident and had nothing to do with Halloween and then this you know didn't come out until like court dates way later and there's a different you know there's different stories of there's a nine-year-old who they said perished while trick-or-treating somewhere in California in the late 80s or going into 1990 and Again, that had nothing to do with Halloween, trick-or-treating, or the candy. It was a kid that had a pre-existing uh, heart condition or, or something like that. And, you know, there was just the first instant fear is like, oh, trick-or-treating, Halloween, any incident that came up, it must have been the candy. But there have been virtually no reports that have ever linked anything with sharp objects, cyanide, poisoning, needles, all that stuff that have ever been linked to Halloween and candy. And the only time 
they ever maybe have happened have been in more of a prank situation or family members screwing around or older kids screwing around with their younger brothers and sisters with no intention of anything actually happening. But the stories get out. And again, in the 1980s, this just caught on like wildfire to the point, again, with more media spreading, more access to TV and cable news and whatnot, it made for good headlines and parents were starting to get very afraid. But again, when you look in it, there's so much information about this. this is amazing. I was looking at articles on CNN, on Vox, uh, history.com even, just saying like there's really never been any links and the only things that have ever happened that have been fatal were not even related to how the candy on Halloween. They just happened to be around that same time, you know, October 30th, October 31st, going into November 1st. So as mentioned, you know, the media plays a huge part in creating these hysterias and whatnot. And I was even reading about this on Smithsonian Magazine, but I think where this can actually all be traced back to is Abigail Van Buren, a.k.a. Dear Abby and Ann Landers. So on October 31st, 1983, Dear Abby published a Halloween-themed column titled A Night of Treats, Not Tricks. And in that article, she wanted to remind everyone that, among other things, somebody's child will become violently ill or die after eating poison candy or an apple containing a razor blade. That's the actual quote, quote from the article. And then 12 years later, Ann Landers, who was her sister, wrote a Halloween article called Twisted Minds Make Halloween a Dangerous Time. And it sort of rehashed that whole concern from 1983. And she's saying in recent years, there have been reports of people with twisted minds putting razor blades and poison in taffy apples and Halloween candy. Have you ever got a taffy apple on Halloween? I haven't. So then she writes, it is no longer safe to let your child eat treats that come from strangers. So the, I don't know what it was like around your house, but like all for my family, my aunts, my mom, Ann Landers and dear Abby were like the Bible and you know, columns were clipped, put on the fridge, everything like that. So I think this is where the whole thing came from, especially look at this is October 31st, 1983. Everyone read Dear Abby. And I think this put the fear into a lot of people. Okay, enough of all that. Let's move on into some of, I'm going to play three of what I think are some of the best Halloween commercials from the 80s. So I won't say them yet. I'll just play the first one. Here we go. It was late one night in the castle of the Chicken McNuggets. What are you making? Sauce. We're using my mummy's recipe. Mummy? Uh-uh. This better be good. It'll be great. Hmm, does your daddy have a recipe? <laughs> oh, McCoblin, McPumpkin, they're at McDonald's now. Each comes with Happy Meal inside to make your Halloween a wow. They're perfect for taking to Halloween places so you can surprise folks with Halloween faces. Pumpkin Happy Meal, only at McDonald's. So that, of course, is a classic McDonald's McNugget Buddies Halloween commercial. When I think of 1980s Halloween commercials, this is the specific one that always comes to mind. I don't know why that is, but I thought that was worth sharing here. Okay, here is number two. As Halloween approaches, you have to prepare yourself for what might happen. More orange sprinkles. 
It's a special time of year, and Dunkin' Donuts is dressing up their donuts for the occasion. And here's the werewolf. So come to Dunkin' Donuts and get into the spirit of Halloween. <gasps> We'd like some Halloween donuts, please. Oh. Love that Dunkin' Donuts one. Perfectly captures just everything of 80s and commercials and the Halloween season perfectly all together. Okay, here's the last one. Halloween Toys R Us doesn't miss a trick and the prices are a treat. We've got costumes for all Toys R Us kids, even grown-ups. And loads of candy, makeup, masks, and more. Toys R Us will make your Halloween supernatural. <laughs> It doesn't get much better than 1980s Toys R Us commercials. This one came out in 1985, and from what I was reading, debuted during the Garfield Halloween special, which is a brilliant special. I've talked about, I think I talked about it in last year's episode, but check that. That one, it actually won an Emmy Award. It was that, it was considered that good. But hopefully like those little segments uh, from, you know, our childhood TV watching days. Okay, so let's transition into one of the worst things ever aired on TV. Not the worst, but pretty close. So what do you get when you combine Florence Henderson, Kiss, and the Wicked Witch of the West? You get the Paul Lind Halloween special, of course. This is a TV variety show. It aired on October 29th, 1976, and was this bizarre combination of sketches, musical numbers, celebrity guests. And it was so absurd that it developed a cult following mainly because I mentioned earlier in the show, because it was the first TV appearance of Kiss. So I love this thing. I watch it every Halloween. I don't even know how I ever discovered it. It, as I mentioned earlier, it falls somewhat in that same category as the Star Wars holiday special, but this thing is actually watchable. It's watchable in an absurd feel you're watching a train wreck, but it's still amusing kind of way. It's also only 50 minutes long, so much easier to digest than the two hours of the Star Wars holiday special. If you don't know anything about that, you'll have to go back. I did an episode all about it, which I will re-release this Christmas. I think it's that relevant. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But this is just a look at the show that even though it came out in the 70s, it found an audience in the 80s because of Kiss fans and bootleg videotapes and, you know, slowly stuck around and still exists to this day. So if you're not sure who Paul Lind is, um, it's hard to know where to start. If you didn't grow up in the 60s and 70s, you'd probably not familiar with Paul Lynn. If you did, you'd know him from the movie Bye Bye Birdie. And he was a notable guest as the center square regularly on the Hollywood squares. I love that show. 
growing up. And he had this amazing quick wit and these savage one-liners. And it made him like this perfect supporting character on TV. If you don't know him, he is the influence for Roger the Alien on American Dad. So that sort of puts it all together. But he was getting away with stuff in the 70s on TV, especially on Hollywood Squares. That was extremely risque. And he was knowingly pushing the boundaries. But that was the appeal to him that during this sort of network time where you had to be actually less than PG and he just sort of kept pushing the boundaries. Here, this blew my mind as I was going back to look look to this. Paul Lind was the voice of Templeton the Rat in Charlotte's Web, the, the 1973 movie. I never knew that. I've watched that movie so many times and it never made the connection until now. So the thing with Paul Lind, when it came to TV and movies, his scenes were always memorable, but he never carried a show all by himself. There's some good interviews with writer Bruce Valanche, and he said that Lind was best when he came with you know a quick zinger and then ducked away to the sides. But he was still a true talent. He was also famous enough that he deserved his own show, and this led to the Paul Lynn show in the 70s, early 70s. ABC developed this show, and it was technically the ninth season of Bewitched, which he was a guest star on. There was a lot of interest in the Paul Lynn show, and it debuted to, to this day to one of the highest ratings ever for a debut TV show. Then it fell off a cliff. It was the same issue of Paul Lynn being better as the comic relief than carrying the entire thing. The show obviously didn't last, but ABC still owed him something. To keep him happy, they gave him his own special. And since there was something decidedly witchy about Paul Lind, it would be a Halloween-themed special. So here's the premise of this thing. And if you've heard the Star Wars one, you know in the 70s, variety shows were a big deal. This is an age where there were only three networks. So anything on TV was a massive event and treated as such. Variety specials were perfect because it was like a night of going to the theater, but you got to stay home. The shows had dancing, singing, comedy, sketches, whoever was popular or celebrity at the time as a guest star. And everyone had a variety special. Over the years, you know, the Carol Burnett show being one of the most famous, Sonny and Cher, but, you know, individual celebrities like Dolly Parton, Johnny Cash, The Brady Bunch, you might know that infamous variety show special, covered well on The Simpsons, The Smothers Brothers, Tom Jones, The Jacksons. Honestly, there are close to a hundred variety shows that happened over the course of the 1970s. So the Paul Lind Halloween variety format seemed like a match made in heaven. So... Here's the plot of this thing. And you can watch this on YouTube. It, it's still up. So, okay, Paul, Paul Lynn starts out confused as to what holiday it is. He dresses up and sings a Christmas song, a Valentine's song. Then here comes Peter Cottontail for Easter. We meet his housekeeper, the iconic Margaret Hamilton, a.k.a. the Wicked Witch of the West, who informs him it's Halloween. This leads into an opening monologue with some of the worst writing and jokes you'll ever hear. We then go into this full musical dance number where Lynn reprises the song What's the Matter with Kids Today from Bye Bye Birdie. It ends with an unspoken cameo from Donnie and Marie Osmond, who were super popular at the time. The special then follows Lynn and Hamilton to visit her sister, who lives in a Dracula-like castle. Turns out her sister is a witch, a.k.a. Witchy Poo, from H&R Puffin's Stuff, played by Billy Hayes. Now, Hamilton turns into the Wicked Witch of the West, or 
basically an elderly version of her, but it's still mesmerizing to hear that laugh and that voice from Margaret Hamilton at how, I don't know if she's in her late seventies at this point. It's incredible. So for, this is the premise for some reason, they give Paul in three wishes. His first is to be a truck driver. I'm not kidding. This puts him in a sketch where both he and Tim Conway from the Carol Burnett show fame both try to marry Roz Pinky Tuscadero from Happy Days. She played the Fonz's girlfriend. He then returns to the manor where Kiss of all people are performing. They play Detroit Rock City. And I'll cover this more in a moment, but as mentioned, this is Kiss's first TV performance. They had appeared in one other sort of I don't know if it's like a local cable show or a midnight, whatever, but this was the first time the country got to see them and it was during prime time. So essentially this was their very first debut to America. Paul's next wish for some reason is to live like a sheik in the Sahara Desert. There he tries to woo Mrs. Brady herself, Florence Henderson, and it gets very uncomfortable. Then Tim Conway comes back in to kidnap the sheik. His last wish is to go to a disco, which was the style at the time. Everybody shows up and we get to see Florence Henderson, who was a very good singer, belt out that old black magic. Kiss plays two more songs and the whole thing finishes with the entire ensemble singing Disco Baby. So what the hell is going on in this thing? Again, it's one you have to see it to believe it. It's, It's one of those situations. So... The huge ensemble of stars was not just because of that variety show aspect, but because the network didn't think Paul Lynn could carry this thing by himself. And of course, guest stars were the easiest way to get more people to watch, specifically Donnie and Marie Osmond, who were super popular at the time. Again, this is also when the Brady Bunch is at its peak and Florence Henderson, aka America's mom, another huge drawing star. Tim Conway, as mentioned, was a variety show staple. And of course, who didn't want to see the Wicked Witch of the West? It had been like, what, 40 years since anyone had seen her like that? You all, I forget, also Betty White is in this thing. Uh, Also, Billy Barty. You might remember him if you know the movie UHF, Weird Al Yankovic's movie. He plays the cameraman. The funny thing is, of course... If you know anything about Paul Lind, he had no idea who most of these people were, especially Kiss. So that's the whole thing. Why is Kiss in this thing? Well, there's the Halloween theme, so that fits in nicely. But mainly they were trying to get as much exposure as possible. They didn't care what show they were on as long as it was in prime time. Gene Simmons shares they were actually thrilled to be there because they were obsessed with The Wizard of Oz and they couldn't believe they were meeting Margaret Hamilton. So they were over the moon. So Paul Lynn maybe could have carried the show, but he was still considered a flavor and a recipe. But all these unrelated elements combined are what make this thing like a car wreck you can't look away from. It's hilarious to see the combination of famous people who you know but have zero connection to anything and honestly, no real connection to Halloween. Besides the opening number, the whole thing feels like a leftover variety show material just thrown out. The writing is atrocious and the entire thing really feels like a way to debut Kiss to the world and also hear Mrs. Brady sing disco songs. So it's bad, but it's amusingly bad. So how did this thing go over? And There were so many bizarre variety specials over the years that it sort of fit right in, but what, but this won up the bizarre factor by quite a bit. Why was this 
collection of celebrities put together? And why does a Halloween special finish with a disco number? Back in the 70s and early 80s, no one really had a VCR, unless you were very well off. And I'm assuming these aren't the type of people who tune into a Pollen variety show. However, in those days, you had one shot at seeing something on TV. Sometimes you may be left shell-shocked wondering if you had just seen what you thought you saw. All you could do is talk about it the next day and try to piece together the moments that you quickly forgot. It's the same thing with the Star Wars holiday special. People wondered, had that really happened the night before? Did people just dream that? If the special was good, they may rerun it. If something was awful, it was gone forever. And that would have been the fate for the Paul in Halloween special if it wasn't for what would become a huge fan base, the Kiss Army. Fun fact, Ringo Starr's son was the president of the Kiss Army, the main Kiss fan club. So after 1976, this special disappeared. But Kiss was really taking off at this point. They were more of, I don't want to say an underground niche group before this, but it was more to a select audience. But the Halloween special introduced them to a nationwide audience. Between 1976 and 1978, KISS exploded in popularity and developed an intensely passionate fan base. So going into the 80s now, at this point, they're arguably the biggest band in the world. And as their fan base grew, so did interest in all of their past recordings and appearances, especially their very first TV appearance. New fans who never saw them on the Paul and Halloween special clamored to find this thing. Fortunately, those few people who owned VCR in 1976 had taped the special. This would lead to a massive amount of bootlegging of the tapes to share them around the country and world. And if I say the word tape traders, you'll immediately know what that is or you won't know. And that's the only way to put it. But this is what was happening. This thing slowly but surely was making the rounds. And the Paul and Halloween special experienced a resurgence in the 80s. And this is when most people saw it for the first time. They came for Kiss, but were left with how absurd but amusing this show really was. So let's look at the legacy. If it wasn't for all the tape traders in the 80s, this thing would have been lost forever. The interesting thing is the head producer of the show had wanted to keep it alive, but with only crappy VHS copies of it, there wasn't a way to reproduce or re-release it. Then that producer named Bob Booker found the original footage of the show. It was thought that it had been lost for good, but it took two years to secure the rights before he could re-release it. I'm not sure why people would be fighting over the rights for this thing. I'm going to assume Kiss is involved in this somehow. They released the Paul and Halloween special on DVD on October 2nd, 2007. Then some decent copies started to make the rounds on YouTube. Like I said, where it should be available to this day. That's where I usually watch it. But last year, for some reason, Amazon Prime Video released it on the streaming service. I had This is back in 2020. And I just happened to, to come across it. I, I wasn't searching for it. It just popped up. I, I have no idea why it was on there. So as of right now, I haven't seen it available. They may release it like a few days before Halloween. I have no idea. I didn't know if it maybe be a yearly release, you know, like monster serials or they would occasionally put it out, but I don't know. Bizarre thing. Either way, it should be available to watch on YouTube and whether you watch it there or you buy the DVD or it shows up on prime video, 
you need to see this thing in all its absurd glory. And like I said, it's somehow become part of my Halloween watching ritual. I don't know how it started, but it's something I do everything, every single Halloween. Okay, let's finish it there. Hope you found this interesting little look back at some interesting 80s related Halloween content. And I wanted to say, if you are a, speaking of Halloween, if you are a part of patreon.com over there at the Everything 80s Movie Club, I just did a movie review all about a nightmare on Elm Street and a lot of interesting stuff in this is including like Freddy Krueger was based on a few real people, which is really weird. And the bizarre connection between home alone and a nightmare on Elm Street. Um, if you haven't, if you're on Patreon, you haven't already seen it, check your feed. It should be there. If you're interested in supporting this show and then getting like this bonus audio content at Patreon, you can check everything out at patreon.com slash 80s, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash 80S. There are various tiers that start at like a few bucks a month uh, or whatever you're listening to this on in the show notes. There should be a link to take you there just if you want to see all that. Okay, that's it for me. Happy Halloween. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.